Well, welcome to the Todd Coconato Show, otherwise known as The Remnant. On today's broadcast, we're going to talk about the great shaking. What is the great shaking? Why do I believe that there is a great shaking that's coming to our nation and our world, and it might happen sooner than many people think? Well, we're going to discuss this today and how we can be prepared both mentally and physically and not only survive, but thrive. Let's now get into the show here on WCF Radio. Here we go. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Todd Coconato Show, otherwise known as The Remnant here on WCF Radio, where we are broadcasting not only here in Los Angeles, but all around the world. And we are excited to have you here. I'm so thankful that you've tuned in. And we are going to talk about a subject matter that I think is important. It's actually in my new book, Come Out From Among Them. And this book is available wherever books are sold. The title is Come Out From Among Them, and it's by myself, Todd Coconato. You can get the book. And if you get the book, you will see in chapter five, I talk about a great shaking. And I'm going to read from this, and then I'm going to kind of color in the lines a little bit about what I mean when it comes to why I believe there is a great shaking that's coming. In fact, I believe everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But we also can survive, and not only survive, but thrive and operate in a place where we are anointed by the Holy Spirit, and every day our our steps are ordered. God sets up divine appointments. He gives us great favor. We operate in his economy, not hell's economy. So these are very important things. Uh, So let me go ahead and start. It says history tends to repeat itself. As the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 1.9, there is nothing new under the sun. As I've already mentioned, the world is experiencing a shaking unlike anything this generation has ever seen. Well, there's social unrest erupting all around the world. Have you seen this in Europe with the Yellow Vest movement and now recently in France? The mainstream media is not covering much of it because they don't want us all to know that a global populace is awakening. People are waking up in droves and starting to see the wicked plans of the elites play out. Plans that have been hidden for decades but are now being exposed to us very clearly so we can all see. The internet has opened a whole new frontier for this gathering of information and sharing of the truth. And while much of the truth is coming to the surface, a great deal of disinformation and misinformation is being shared as well. This is why it's more important than ever that we operate in discernment. Many Christians have fallen victim to the deceptions that are packaged well and appear to be Christian-esque. This is why the Bible tells us we must test the spirits in 1 John 4, 1. Men are saying that they are women and women are claiming to be men. They are, there is an attack on gender and biblical marriage. Babies are being ripped out of their mother's womb in the form of late-term abortion while millions celebrate claiming they have the right to do so. Wicked leaders have been put into positions of power worldwide and in all levels of governance. We are currently witnessing this in the United States, where many believers are convinced that the elections themselves, as well as the voting systems, have been significantly corrupted and are able to manipulate even who is put in office. Now, of course, we have to put the asterisk there because otherwise they'll take down our broadcast. That is somebody's opinion, but I know it's many of your opinions, and uh, well, I'll just leave it there. Uh, We are currently witnessing this in the United States, okay? Yes, we are. While it's been deemed a conspiracy, the possibility of something like this happening in some capacity is very real. This is why many remnant people feel such a heaviness and have been challenged in this season to pray harder than ever before. We all sense something is very wrong. Good is being called evil and evil is being called good, just as the Bible told us would happen as the hour gets late. And that's in Isaiah 5.20 and 2 Timothy 3.13. Many people are wondering what will happen next. 
The church will endure until the Lord returns. Even if the nations fall or the world order is significantly altered, there will be a body of Christ on the earth when the Lord returns for his bride. We must have faith. We must have a lot of faith, friends. We need to endure until the end. We got to finish well, amen? Despite the assurance that the body of Christ will endure, many Christians are still concerned about their future and are battling anxiety or depression. Depression is a spirit that comes upon a person, and we must recognize it for what it is and cast it down in Jesus' name. It is important that we operate in the Lord's peace and learn to cast down our burdens at the foot of the cross. As we witness some of our brothers and sisters lose their jobs and reputations due to their beliefs and cancel culture, we also continue to see Christianity being pushed out of schools and educational institutions. Our kids are a major target. The evil players in this world are making a significant effort to target children at a young age and indoctrinate them with demonic and unholy propaganda. This has become more important to many of the nation's school systems than actually educating these kids and setting them up for success. I mean, have you noticed this, right? The indoctrination of our young people has reached such a level of critical mass that we're now seeing a major uptick in homeschooling by concerned parents who don't want to see their kids indoctrinated by an out-of-control state. Witnessing this and sometimes feeling overwhelmed by it, we are rightfully alarmed. We haven't experienced this before, and most Christians in the West have not been taught by their church leaders how to spiritually endure the things that are happening in our culture today. The Western world has long been associated with freedom of religion and respect for religious diversity. However, in recent years, there's been a concerning rise in Christian persecution across many Western countries. While Christians are not the only religious group facing persecution, their experiences in the West are often overlooked or downplayed. This trend has many Christians worried about their safety and the ability to freely practice their faith in the future. Persecution takes many forms, from discrimination and harassment to violence and even death. In the West, persecution against Christians often manifests in more subtle ways, such as social exclusion or the erosion of religious freedoms. For example, in some European countries, it's become increasingly difficult for Christians to express their faith in public spaces by wearing religious symbols or holding public prayer meetings. In other cases, Christian business owners have faced legal action for refusing to participate in events that violate their religious beliefs. One of the most concerning aspects in the rise of persecution is that it often goes unacknowledged by those in power. Some politicians and public figures have even actively sought to silence or demonize Christians, accusing them of being bigoted or intolerant for their religious beliefs. This has led to a culture of fear and intimidation, leading many Christians feeling as though they must keep their faith hidden or risk being ostracized by society. It's worth noting also that the rise in Christian persecution is not limited to the Western world's. Uh, Christians face persecution and violence in many countries around the world, often at the hands of oppressive regimes or extremist groups. However, the fact that this trend is also being seen in the Western world, where religious freedom is supposed to be a fundamental right, is particularly concerning. There's no easy solution to the problem of uh, Christian persecution in the West, but it is clear that there needs to be something done to address this very important and rising issue. Governments must work to protect religious freedoms of all citizens, regardless of their beliefs. This includes protecting the rights of Christian business owners and public servants to act in accordance with their faith, as well as ensuring that Christians are able to express their faith freely in public spaces. In addition, there's need for greater public awareness and education about the issue of Christian persecution in the West. By shining light on this problem and speaking out against it, we can help create a culture of freedom and respect for religious diversity. Now, we got to be set apart from the world, set apart, okay? 
The concept of being set apart is a common theme in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. It's often associated with the idea of holiness. Christians are called to be set apart from the world and its values. Okay, we're, we're in it, but we're not of it. To live a life that reflects the character and teachings of Jesus Christ. One of the best known passages that speaks to the idea of being set apart is 1 Peter 2.9, which says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, this verse, it describes believers as a unique and separate people who God has chosen to serve him and proclaim his goodness. Similarly, in Romans 12, 2, Paul urges Christians not to conform to the patterns of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of their minds. And this suggests that Christians should be different from the world in their attitudes and behaviors, and their thinking should be shaped by God's word. Other verses that speak to this theme include 2 Corinthians six seventeen, which says, therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. That's where I got the whole title for the book. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. In James 4, 4, which warns believers against friendship with the world, saying, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enemies of God or enmity? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. It's plain. It's simple. God is calling his people out from this worldly, evil Babylon system and from worldly Christians as well. Not everyone will receive this message. But it is for those with ears to hear and eyes to see. We can't expect everyone to see what we see. Many will continue in their rebellion. They'll continue to make excuses and keep their heads buried in the sand. We must not look to these people for affirmation. We must make our own moves and return to God's perfect will for our lives. We cannot control anyone else, but we can take responsibility for our own actions. I want to read you a scripture in Amos. It's 521 through 24, Amos 521 through 24. And it says this, I hate, I despise your feasts and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of the harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. In the book of Amos, God expresses his displeasure with the offerings of the Jewish people. This is because the people were performing rituals. They were religious and, and sacrifices without the understanding and the purpose behind them. They were going through the motions of offering and sacrifices, but their hearts were not in the right place. You know, in the New International Version translation of Amos 5, 21 through 24, it says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness, like a never failing stream. This passage shows that God is less concerned with the outward appearance of religious rituals and more concerned with the inner attitudes of our actions of a people. That's what he's looking at. He's looking at our actions. Do our, are our actions in line with what we're saying? Are we actually walking out what the scripture says? There's a lot of people that have vain imaginations. A lot of people saying a lot of crazy stuff. But what does the scripture say? Because that's God's heart. You know, God deserves that for his people, not only for other sacrifices, but also to live justly and righteously. This means treating others with love and compassion, seeking justice for the oppressed, and living according to God's commandments. 
You know, uh, the Jewish people have failed to do these things, and so their offerings were not pleasing to God. God did not hate the offerings the Jews were bringing. Instead, he was displeased that they were performing religious rituals without truly understanding the significance behind them and without living out the values of justice and righteousness that these rituals were meant to inspire. One thing that absolutely cannot be faked is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We may be able to put on a show for a while, but eventually what has been done in darkness will be brought to light. You know, the prophet Amos lived in the 8th century BC and was sent by God to prophesy to the people of Israel, warning them of judgment that would come due to their sin and disobedience. The book of Amos records the messages that he delivered, including the declaration of destruction upon Israel and the promise of restoration. God declared that he would bring destruction upon Israel because of their disobedience and sin. The people had turned away from God and turned to worship idols and engage in their sinful practices. They had also become wealthy and prosperous, but their wealth was gained through exploitation and injustice, leading to a great societal inequality and oppression of the poor. Through his prophet Amos, God declared that he would punish the people for their sins by sending a famine, a drought, and other disasters to the land. He warned that the people's wealth and power would not save them from the coming judgment and that the nation would be destroyed. However, in the midst of his warning of judgment, God also promised to restore his people. He declared that after the destruction, he would rebuild the nation and restore it to its former glory. This restoration would be based on justice and righteousness rather than exploitation and oppression. God promised that he would bless the people and make them a great and prosperous nation once again. That's found in Amos 9, 9 through 10, which says, For behold, I command, I will shake the house of Israel, all the nations as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say disaster shall not overtake or meet us. Do you hear that? This is so important for us to understand. A sieve is a tool that is used to separate the, the coarser particles of a substance from the finer ones. In the spirit realm, God will often use persecution or suffering to shake the people who claim his name. When faced with severe persecution, if a person doesn't have the Holy Spirit, he or she will not be able to stand. It's all that simple. In the words of a blogger, Brittany Leanne uh, Allen, she said, they will be like the finer particles that slip through the tiny holes, not having the wholeness needed to remain in the sieve. No matter how hard we are shaken or how severely we are persecuted, attacked, or pressured. We must remain planted on the firm foundation, the solid rock of Jesus Christ. He's the rock of the ages. Think about the parable of the wise and the foolish builders in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, and make sure that your house is built on the rock. Now, I'm going to talk about being bold, okay? The Apostle Paul is widely recognized as one of the most influential figures in the development of Christianity. He played a critical role in spreading the gospel throughout the Mediterranean world, and his writings in the New Testament continue to inspire and challenge believers today. One of the key features of Paul's ministry was his boldness. Despite facing numerous challenges and much opposition, uh, Paul remained steadfast in his commandment to proclaiming the gospel. In his letters, he often spoke of his desire for revival and his willingness to do whatever it takes to see the people come to faith in Jesus. 
For example, in his letter to the Romans, Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. This statement captures Paul's conviction that the gospel is the solution to the spiritual needs of humanity and that it was his duty to share the message with as many people as possible. Throughout his ministry, Paul traveled extensively and preached in a wide range of contexts from uh, synagogues and public squares to private homes and even prisons. He faced intense opposition from both religious leaders and political authorities, but he refused to back down or compromise his message. In the book of Acts, we see numerous examples of Paul's boldness in action. For instance, in Acts 13, Paul and his companion uh, Barnabas were confronted by a sorcerer named Elymas, who tried to prevent them from sharing the gospel with the Romans proconsul. See Acts uh, 13, and then it's uh, 6 through 12. And so in response, Paul confronted Elymas and, and rebuked him, saying, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that's right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you ever stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? That's Acts 13, 10. This may seem confrontational to modern readers, but it was essential to Paul's ministry. He understood that he was engaged in a spiritual battle for the hearts and minds of people, and that he needed to be bold and courageous in order to make an impact. The Apostle Paul's boldness was a hallmark of his ministry. He was driven by a deep passion for revival and a commitment to sharing the gospel with as many people as possible. Despite facing significant challenges and great opposition, he refused to back down or to compromise this message. And as a result, Paul's legacy continues to inspire and challenge believers today, encouraging us to be bold in our own situations and in our efforts to share the love of Christ with the world. Now, like Paul, we as believers need to be bold. Too many Christians are afraid to speak up and live out their faith openly, and God responds to those who call on his name. Again, there's no way to fake it with God. He knows and sees all. So we gotta have faith. Here's the solution, through faith. Faith is a gift, and in and of itself, it is what God responds to. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, but with the faith of a mustard seed, we can move a mountain. When we exercise faith, God sees it as an invitation to intervene and manifest himself in our lives in surprising ways. This is one reason I believe that those who walk in what I call big faith will see the biggest breakthroughs in their lives. The people who trust God the most and put their hope in him are the same people who will endure until the end. I've seen God do things that seemed absolutely impossible. Some of the most successful people I know are all those who took the biggest risks. Now, we are living in a time when Christians must get out of the boat and walk on the water. We can't simply look to what this one or that one says as we have to learn to hear the voice of God for ourselves. It's my prayer that the church puts its focus back on discipleship and prayer. Believers who know the word are prayer warriors and are solidified in their understanding of their identity in Christ, and they are the biggest threat to the enemy. They are the ones who walk in the anointing. Now, understand this about our God. He's got no limits. The Bible teaches that God is limitless and infinite in his power and abilities. Therefore, it's important that we do not allow our understanding or beliefs about God to limit him. One way that the Bible emphasizes God's limitless nature is by highlighting the many miraculous acts that he performed throughout history. For example, in the Old Testament, we see God parting the Red Sea for the Israelites to cross, providing manna from heaven, and even causing the walls of Jericho to fall down only with a shout. In the New Testament, we see Jesus healing the sick and feeding thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread and two small fish. 
and even raising the dead. Through these miraculous acts, we see that God's power and abilities are beyond our human understanding. They're way beyond what we are even going to imagine in our head. God can do anything. He, he's got the ability to do anything. As Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, and so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. However, it's not just about recognizing God's power, but also having the faith and trust in him. In Mark eleven twenty two through 24, Jesus tells his disciples, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they have said will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whenever you ask for prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. This passage emphasizes that if we have faith and trust in God, we should not limit him by doubting what he can do in our lives. Rather, we should recognize his infinite power and trust in his abilities. Think about this. Have faith that he can work miracles in our lives and in the world around us. So what's going to happen? What's going to happen in the church in the next few years and beyond? Well, I talk about that in The Great Shaking. I talk about that. I said, we're living in a disruptive period of time. Norms that have governed many aspects of society in our lives for years are being challenged. This is also happening in the body of Christ. I believe this shaking, the shaking of the church, at least, is God's hand at work. This needed to happen in order for the church to course correct, among other reasons we'll discuss later. The challenge is is that change is uncomfortable and overwhelming at times, especially for people who are non-confrontational or set in their ways. Many people are deeply entrenched in religion rather than focusing on a relationship with God in which they inquire of the Holy Spirit. There's a big difference between the two. This explains the infighting among Christians that we're seeing playing out, especially on social, uh, social media. Have you seen it? I've seen it. In reality, the fight is religious people and non-believers versus people who are led by the Spirit. Their ideas and worldviews are colliding. No one wants to admit he or she is wrong. Few people are being mentored or held accountable, so we see a significant number of Christians who are dug in due to pride. Most of these people don't actually ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. They're not filled with the Holy Spirit, nor do they operate in the fruit of the Spirit. Yet if you were to ask them if they are Christians, they would say yes. This is because in many churches, the gospel has been so watered down. Have you seen this? That people don't even know what the Bible says. I call it a wide gate mentality. On the other hand, we must also be mindful of the temptation to be too free or too emotional and synchronize some of the freedom we walk in with false religions and beliefs like New Age. This often uh, happens when people on the right side fall into deception and doctrines being taught by online personalities and ministers who are not tethered to the body of Christ or held accountable. I believe many people will be deceived in this way in the coming years, as I have seen it happening often in recent years. Much of the shaking we are seeing around the world is things being set into place for what's to come. We are witnessing the book of Revelation beginning to really take shape as key biblical prophecies are being positioned to soon manifest in the natural. It is an exciting time to be alive. I liken it to the best of times and the worst of times simultaneously. While many people are still looking for positive and hopeful messages and and remain silent, the globalist agenda, which is demonically inspired, continues to advance full steam ahead with little resistance. And this is happening. This is happening. The church seems to be bickering and digging in deeper on views, positions, traditions, and denominational variances rather than combining our efforts in order to effectively respond to what's taking place around us. 
A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe we are only years away from a total societal shift in the West and subsequently the world order as a whole. This will have dramatic implications for us all, including the church. As the World Economic Forum and other globalist institutions continue to craft and initiate new policies and implement their go-forward agenda, we begin to see large parts of biblical Christianity deemed hateful and socially unacceptable. The pressure for Christians and Christian organizations to cave and capitulate on these key issues and areas of core Christian doctrine will intensify to a level of critical mass, which is why we need to build community and surround ourselves with intercessors who will pray for us and stand with us. As these events continue and the pressure increases, we will see different responses from the pulpit. Some pastors will quit the ministry, finding the pressure simply too intense. Others will take uh, what they consider to be the high road and continue to ignore the reality of the situation, much like many ministers are doing right now. They will double down on speaking motivational, feel-good type messages while ignoring what is going on in the world around them, hoping that if they simply ignore it, it will leave them alone. But unfortunately, they are dead wrong in this view. The third group is lions, ministers who rise to the occasion, take a stand and fight the good fight of faith, no matter the obstacles thrown in their path. I will refer to these people as lions lions throughout the remainder of this book. As the Lord showed me, this is the season for lions and generals in the faith to stand up and be bold and unafraid, to die to their flesh and to put the full armor of God on every day. Now, wow, we we see many self-proclaimed prophetic voices. You guys see this? Uh, Out there, and they're claiming that things are about to get much better. We know through discernment and prayer and through biblical precedent that unless we repent and truly come out from among them, our nation will likely suffer a similar fate as the people of ancient Israel did before they turned back to God. Well, we've covered a lot of stuff in today's broadcast. This is uh, chapter 5 of my new book, Come Out From Among Them. Chapter five from my new book, which is available at pastortoddbook.com. It's pastortoddbook.com. And I am sharing these things because I believe this is a message. It's a now message for the body of Christ. And it's for those that have ears to hear and that have eyes to see. Those that understand what's going on around us. And we can make a difference. We can change it. Just like the people of ancient Israel could have changed it if they would have repented. Just like the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. I'll heal their land. We need our land healed, friends. We're in a dire time right now, but God is not done moving. He wants to move. He's ready to move just like he did in Asbury. He wants to move in our lives. He wants to move in our churches. It's time to speak to the dry bones and say, rise up in Jesus' name. We were made for such a time as this. All right, friends, thank you for tuning in today. We love you and we bless you, and we'll see you again next week at the same time. My name is Pastor Todd Coconado, and you can find me at pastortodd.org.